Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The gospel reading we heard just a few moments ago is a little bit like going back in time. It comes from Jesus' farewell discourse. It is this night before Jesus is to die that Jesus has gathered his closest disciples to give them some final instructions. Jesus is letting his followers know that despite the fact that he is about to depart from them, that there is um, some good news to hold on to. In the previous chapter, John chapter 13, is not a really pleasant chapter. In that chapter, uh, Jesus says that one of you will uh, betray me, and Judas uh, walks out during um, his speech, and uh, Peter um, it said that, you know, one of you will uh, deny me, 
And um, Jesus also says that I am going somewhere that you will not be able to go. You can imagine if you're one of Jesus' disciples and you have followed him everywhere, for him to say, I'm going to go somewhere and you can't go with me would have been heartbreaking. So Jesus gives these words of assurance in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. And it becomes all the more comforting when you realize all the heartbreak that is found in chapter 13. Jesus is telling us in this chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled, for I am going to my Father's house. I am going to a place where there is a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus is telling his disciples that the way that they get there is through him. This gospel reading in John chapter 14 is often used at funerals because it is a reminder that God does not abandon us. God does not leave us. N.T. Wright, reflecting on this passage, says, We oftentimes in life cannot see the way ahead. And we need to know not only that there is indeed a way into the unknown future, but that we will be able to find it. These words are words of assurance to people who are lost, that they will not be lost forever. Thomas says, how can we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. It's hard to escape the vision of the New Testament and the early church tradition to talk about the centrality of Jesus when it comes to knowing and understanding the God who created us and made us in God's very own image. We live in a pluralistic and diverse society and this message that it is at the core of the Christian proclamation that there is something unique and central to Jesus is at times a challenging one. But I think it's because Christians have often used this passage that nobody comes to the Father but through me as a club to injure rather than as an invitation to welcome. Jesus is telling Thomas, look, it is not some secret map that you have to go find like the disciples are about to go on a Goonie-style um, exploration. But this is more Jesus' words of assurance. If you know me, and those who are hearing my words, you do know me. You also will know my Father. Jesus is not providing a list that they must follow in order to have a relationship with the Father. Jesus is simply saying, if you want to know God, know me. Philip takes his turn in missing Jesus' point, And he um, asks Jesus to show them the Father. Jesus says, you have been with me this entire time. And you don't understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Elizabeth Johnson says that this harkens back to the prologue of John, the very first chapter that we hear um, on the first Sunday of Christmas. In that, John says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, literally, that is in the bosom of the Father who has made him known. The point of John's gospel and the point of Jesus' message is to make the love of God known to a world that is in deep need of knowledge of love and truth 
and knowing where is the way. John is writing these, these words and offering these stories as assurance to people who have lost the signs and the symbols that they rely upon the most. When Jesus says that I am going to my father's house, he uses the exact words to describe the temple. The temple in Jewish cosmology is the place where heaven and earth meet. In Simon Montefort's landmark book, Jerusalem, he reflects upon the centrality of the temple in Israel's imagination. He shares the story of its destruction in 70 AD. He says that in late July, Titus, the son of Roman Emperor Vespinia, ordered a siege on Jerusalem's temple after four months of battle. Titus said that the siege on the city was costing too many soldiers and he wanted the city gates on, caught on fire. The, the setting that surrounds Jerusalem is like hell on earth. Thousands of bodies laid out in the sun, the hot sun, because there was no one to bury them. It was estimated at that time that Rome was crucifying 500 people a day. That so many people were being crucified, it is said that Israel ran out of trees. The city was closed to the outside world. Food was scar scarce and hard to come by. But life wasn't any better on the outside as it was in the inside. The Roman historian Josephus, who watched the destruction of the temple, said that it was like the temple hill was boiling over. The place where 12-year-old Jesus taught was destroyed. The place where Jesus had made pilgrimage like so many faithful Jews over the century was destroyed. The place where after the resurrection the apostles continued to minister and preach and proclaim the good news was devastated. Many biblical scholars believe that the gospels were either written or finished after the destruction of the temple and this is where the language of the new temple, the new heaven, the new earth come into being. Because the one that the people could see and touch had been destroyed. And now the temple was in Jesus. Jesus promises that a new heaven and a new earth is coming and it is found in himself. I think about our own day in which we are distant from one another. We are distant from our friends and being able to talk to them. We are distant from our family and being able to be with them. We're separated from the church building and the community that is often a strength for us. We're distant from the sacrament of the body and blood which nourish and strengthens us. Dr. Aaron Rafferty is a pastor and a mother to a child who has severe disabilities and a terminal illness, and she reflected on the limitations that life often has. She says, I will never be able to save my daughter. It's a truth that I have to come to grips with. When you live at the edge of your limits as a mother and as a person, <coughs> you get comfortable there. You make a home and a peace among these unanswerable ways. You realize that often the questions are futile, faithful, faithless, distracting, and daunting. The control that you once thought you have, you realize you never had it. There is truth and wisdom 
<clears throat> that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot prevent this virus, she says. If we could, we would have done it by now. Instead, our lives are shot through the daily reminders of our vulnerability. Our naivete is gone. She says, a few months ago at my daughter's birthday, I flew unexpectedly to Wisconsin for a funeral of a dear family friend. Funerals, she says, are not really for the dying. They're for the living to do the work of grieving so that they can gather the resources to go on living. That weekend, she says, we were blessed to be together and reflect upon the life of a beautiful, faithful woman. Your mother was such a good and loving person, I said to my friend. Grief and love are the twin conditions in which we have had to make our home in these days of coronavirus. She says, I don't want to live with the false security that my child will always be there. Instead, with the full knowledge of life's imper impermanency, we can choose to love even more fiercely, more generously, and more lavishly. For many people, she says, and importantly, the living and loving to be done in these days shows up in scientists, doctors, nurses, emergency responders, those who are bagging our groceries and delivering our food. Those who are showing up to the suffering, those are one ways in which our love is showing up. But for the rest of us, there will be an equally hard and important work of loving fiercely, praying and honoring to name the dead, to not shy away from our grief and our fear, but embrace them and embrace the pain and patience and hope that love will survive. Our naivete may be gone. Grief and death may be more in the days ahead, despite the fact that we are getting back to normal. But perhaps it is in the midst of that that our salvation and our trust is found. Maybe when we realize that we cannot save ourselves, we can be reminded of the God who does save us, the Lord who is the way, the life, and the truth. Maybe we can turn our hope and our trust that love will conquer death and that love will find a way. Hear John's words again. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.